Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. Well, this is a little unfair here today. I think the uh, the Hall of Famer Fred might agree because Fred and I are starting the show without having the joy of playing with puppies today. And there's someone else in the studio who played with puppies right before she came oh, in. It's so great. And then she rubbed it in by sending pictures. And yeah. thanks a lot, Sue. You didn't bring a puppy in here with you, did you? No, because... No, I wanted to run out with all of them. Well, explain the uh, the puppies all so right. people know. These are these are relatives of your dogs, right? Yes, my dog's <laughs> nieces and nephew, the breeder uh, who also does rescue work for St. St. Le- Louis English Bulldog Rescue. They're also they do a they're a breeder as well, and they have a, a new litter, and the puppies are now eight weeks old. Oh, they're adorable, and they're off the charts adorable. It's funny how. Mark and I, up until when we saw the pictures, were in this hot debate about what sound to use about the, <laughs> the Supreme Court hearing and the Biden ruling. And then all of a sudden puppies are coming council. in, right. I'm telling puppies you. Puppies come up and we just stopped yep. and we just started talking about puppies. Puppies are the priority. But we do have to get to some serious business here because it has been an amazing day in Washington and beyond. And it's almost like I could flip a coin here and you know spin the wheel on which topic I want to talk about. I'm going to start with the special counsel here on Joe Biden. This was the guy that was looking at whether or not this president committed any crimes when he was vice president with his handling of classified documents. And ladies and gentlemen, let me just kind of explain to you this afternoon that the special counsel found that there was no reason to charge this president with a crime, Joe Biden. But I think in the end, the document that they released is more damning to Biden than it would have been if he was going to be charged with a crime. And let me explain that okay, because please. there are... <laughs> I tweeted this out today, and, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good, Fred. We have to. We have to cross-check stuff. We have to make sure that it's, you know, accurate. And it's getting even more difficult to do that these days just because things are turned around so quickly. People create memes. But there, <laughs> there was somebody that created a Biden campaign sign that says, you know, so I'll show you and we could show it to the cameras in here. It says, Biden, a well-meaning elderly. Hang on a second. It just flipped off my screen. I hate it when that happens. Hold on a second. A well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. That is exact language from the special counsel report. Exact. Are you serious? I am verbatim. Now, let me get to this here. And I'm going to talk about the Supreme Court and what happened with that. And Fred, you know this because we were both monitoring this morning. My first reaction, and they aired this on, you know, CNN and Fox and C-SPAN. 
There are no television cameras that are inside the Supreme Court building. You just had microphones, and that was something else that was funny. There was somebody who, um, Maya Sand, who I found out was a professor at Harvard, she tweeted out, annual reminder that there's no live video coverage of SCOTUS oral arguments, despite their obvious importance to matters of national politics and policy. And she said, people should be outraged by this, right? I'm like, it should outrage us that you could actually listen to the entire damn hearing. Uh, bonus points here, though. She's a Harvard professor, and she has pronouns. There's something that's shocking. But that 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 happened this morning, and what I was going to say about that is, Fred, I'm on my way to the store. I'm listening to this, and I, thir- I think I text you. I said, well, yep. this isn't going to be nine to nothing. After because the first two questions. The first couple of questions indicated, it seemed to indicate, well, you're, and I think Sotomayor is the one they're looking at right now where she's the outlier, right? Is it right. Sotomayor or right. Kagan? Right. Sotomayor. No, Sotomayor. But at first you thought, okay, this is going to be another 5-4. They're not going to come out because people are hoping that this is at least somewhat unanimous because it will send a message to Colorado. The whole thing is ludicrous. It really is that this is even before the Supreme Court. And I think it was Alito or one of them said to the, to the uh, Solicitor General, General who is arguing this from Colorado, you know you shouldn't even be here today, right? Because wow. it's such a ridiculous case. But I'll get to that in a second because all of this is sort of happening at the um, at the same time. And they release uh, the her report and they say we. <laughs> here's something else that's funny. Whoever put this out, at least on first, I have some um, screen captures of the actual document. And when they were taking pictures of it, it's all cockeyed. So bear with me here because this this set of documents I got was photographed in a very unusual way. We conclude that no criminal charges are warranted in this matter. We would reach the same conclusion even if the Department of Justice did not foreclose criminal charges against a sitting president. Our investigation uncovered evidence that President Biden willfully retained and disclosed classified materials after his vice presidency when he was a private citizen. Yeah, you heard that correctly. They <laughs> determined that he did that, right? Okay. These materials included marked classified documents about military and foreign policy in Afghanistan, notebooks containing Mr. Biden's handwritten entries about issues of national security, blah, blah, blah. FBI agents recovered these materials. However, for the reasons summarized below, we conclude that the evidence does not establish Mr. Biden's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, which, by the way, I I thought that was the jury's decision. That's not the prosecutor's decision. So they talk about the guy that was writing Joe Biden's book, The Ghostwriter, And it says, after learning of the special counsel's appointment in this matter, Mr. Biden's ghostwriter deleted audio recordings that he had created of his discussions with Mr. Biden during the writing of Mr. Biden's memoir in 2017. The recordings had significant evidentiary value. After yeah. Yeah, I know, right. After telling the special counsel what he had done, the ghostwriter turns over the computer and the external hard drive. And what they say here is that the FBI looked at it all. They recovered the deleted audio files, although some of them appeared to be missing. Uh-huh. Um, the ghostwriter uh-huh. kept and did not delete or attempt to delete his near verbatim transcripts of the recordings. We considered whether to charge the ghostwriter with obstruction of justice, mainly because he obstructed justice. Yes. Those are my words. That's but right. we, we believe the evidence would be insufficient to obtain a conviction and therefore decline to prosecute him. While the ghostwriter admitted that he had deleted the recordings after he had learned of the special counsel's uh-huh. investigation, the evidence falls short of proving beyond a reasonable doubt that he intended to impede an investigation. This Wait guy, a minute. Well, this guy should be looking at Trump because anything that Trump did would not go to court, according to this guy, right? Now, here's, here's my argument. I'm not smart enough to know if this is a, uh, a good special counsel report or not, here's the only thing I'm capable of doing. There's not equal justice here no. being applied in both circumstances. So that, that's one thing we know. He, um, in his interviews, oh, it gets better. I haven't even gotten to the good part. So hang in there, ladies and gentlemen. In his interviews, the ghostwriter offered plausible, innocent reasons for why he deleted the recordings. Really? After 
he learned of the special. Keep in mind, he did it after, after. He the special counsel. He also preserved his transcripts that contained some of the most incriminating information against Mr. Biden, including a statement about finding all the classified stuff downstairs oh, in 2017. Geez. The ghostwriter voluntarily produced to investigators his notes and devices from which the recordings were um you know, uh, recovered from. And then he says, in addition to this shortage of evidence, there are innocent explanations for the documents that we cannot refute. When Mr. Biden told his ghostwriter that he just found all the classified stuff downstairs, he could have been referring to something other than the Afghanistan documents. And our report discusses these possibilities in detail. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, here's, here's... He could have been talking about anything, he Mark. But here's the money bite, okay? And this is, I- I'm telling you, like, if they're not ads that are created on this, like, overnight that played. During Super Bowl weekend, this is a miss for the RNC, the Republicans. We have also considered that at trial, Mr. Biden would likely present himself to a jury, as he did during our interview of him, as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. That's an exact quote from this document. Oh, my Based on, So he's not qualified to be prosecuted for handling classified documents, but he is qualified to be the leader of the free world, Sue. <sighs> Based on our direct interactions with and observations of him, he is someone for whom many jurors will want to identify reasonable doubt. It would be difficult to convince a jury that they should convict him by then a former president well into his 80s of a serious felony that requires a mental state of willfulness. We, we well, can... there's the difference right there. So they're looking for willfulness. And that obviously did not uh, occur because he's... They're essentially saying he's doddering and can't remember. Again, haven't got to the best stuff. It's still coming here, Sue. Mr. Biden's memory also appeared to have significant limitations. (laughs) There's a bit of breaking news for you. Both at the time that he spoke with um, Zwanitzer in 2017. I'm not sure who that was, actually. um, As evidenced by their recorded conversations. That might have been the ghostwriter. I'm not sure. Mr. Biden's recorded conversations from 2017 are often painfully slow, with Mr. Biden struggling to remember events and straining at times to read and relay his own notebook entries. In his interview with our office, Mr. Biden's memory was worse. He did not remember when he was vice president, forgetting on the first day of the interview when his term ended If it was 2013, when did I stop being vice president? And forgetting on the second day of the interview, when his term began. The quote is, in 2009, am I still vice president? I'm not making this up. Okay, this is in this report. And his memory appeared to be hazy when describing the Afghanistan debate that was once so important to him. Among other things, he mistakenly said that he had a real difference of opinion on or with, I'm sorry, General Carl Eikenberry, when in fact Eikenberry was an ally who Mr. Biden cited approvingly in his Thanksgiving memo, memo to President Obama. In a case where government must prove that Mr. Biden knew he had possession of classified Afghanistan documents after his vice presidency and chose to keep those documents knowing he was violating the law, we expect that at trial his attorneys would emphasize these limitations in his recall. Now, look, think about what I've just told you. Take everything that I've just told you and think about that in the context of prosecuting this former vice president. The special counsel's right. I'm not going to challenge his reasoning for not moving forward. I'm going to challenge the fact that this is not unequal. However, this is a pretty damning report, and anyone who reads it is going to say, holy smokes. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's not as if the things in this report, you know, match up with reality. This is a president who's on top of things. He never screws up. He never calls foreign leaders that are dead, you know, and refers to them. Are you kidding me? So then I have KJP, and I have to apologize at this point because, honest to God, 
The story of the day is what happened at the Supreme Court. And it's a huge day for Trump because this thing is maybe not going to be nine to nothing, but it's going to be eight to one. They're, they're going to. Yeah. Colorado's going to lose this. That, that is not even minimally in jeopardy. But this stuff about Biden is really amazing. And then you got to hear KJP. Well, let me let me just play this, too, Fred. There's so much today. Trump comes on. And after the I'm all over the place, but I'm, I'm so full of material. He comes on after the Supreme Court thing. Right. And says this. In watching the Supreme Court today, I thought it was very it's a very beautiful process. I hope that democracy in this country will continue. Um, because right now we have a very, very tough situation with all of the radical left ideas, with the weaponization of uh, politics. So he's a former president. He's going on. This is the CNN coverage. And they had no money to give to Hamas. They had no money okay. to give to uh, I think we've gotten uh, all the illegal analysis we're going to get out of President Trump. You know, it's odd there because we're just laughing it up here. Actually, an opportunity for her to come him to come odd, out and, and say, well, no, it's not because it was, he wants to talk about himself. Uh, and this is a network, by the way, that has no ratings right now. They wow. came out a couple of days ago. They made big changes to their morning programming because it sucks and nobody watches. And they have a bunch of people, Jake Tapper, going on after a pretty serious case, which embarrassed. It should embarrass Democrats or anyone who thinks that this is a legitimate case. Even liberal law professors out there are saying this is right. a big joke, right? And they think it's funny because they want to mock Trump. Well, they're going to—I don't know what CNN's going to do when this guy is overwhelmingly elected in the fall. Because at this point, I'm wondering if it's even going to be close. So, Turley, let me get Turley in here because he mentioned this on Fox. Well, it's not a laughing matter. I mean, what they're talking about is censoring comments from the leading candidate for the presidency. Yes. We saw on MSNBC uh, an open uh, promise or pledge that they would continue to censor uh, Trump uh, because they felt that he was lying. And so the viewers of those networks will not be able to hear from currently the leading candidate for the president. Well, that's what they want. Wow. Right? Okay, wow. So wow. Now, I, and I don't have time to play all the audio, but we know that the president has been mumbling and bumbling, and he called uh, Macron, Francois Mitterrand, who died in 1995 or 1996. We now know, by the way, there was another one from just a couple of days ago. Same pattern. We don't have audio of this. He referred to the chancellor of Germany as Helmut Kohl. <laughs> who's, and I think it was Angela Merkel at the time. And Helmut Kohl's been gone for a while, too. So this is a repeated pattern. So you remember yesterday we played Ducey was in the press room. KJP just, you know, blows this off. I'm not even going to entertain that. Well, and Fred, do we know who this was today? I don't know who it was. I don't think I don't think Someone it was a else. Fox person, right? No, no. So they asked this question. And multiple times this week, the president in his public remarks uh, talked about having conversations in 2021 with European leaders who were deceased at that time. So can you give us an explanation into why the president was referring to those to those people in those conversations and what exactly happened there? So I know there's been a lot of focus on this. I want to just step back for a second and just kind of think really kind of top level of what the president was talking about. Look, she completely oh. went off, and, and I don't even know what happened next, because I'm trying to pull this audio just about an hour ago, and she's starting to give a background of January 6th and the conversation <laughs> that he was having at the time about democracy. What? She's trying to pivot as much as she can, going on and on about why the conversations were important, not, not addressing the issue of the president, not remembering who the leaders were. He never thought this is someone who was a senator. He was a vice president. He has a relationship with some of these world leaders for decades. And he never thought that he would hear that. 
And so you hear him say that. You hear him talk about it. He, now, again, she's what? talking about the conversation. She's not talking no, about the missteps. She, she's just talking about democracy and how Joe Biden cared about democracy. And he's telling these foreign leaders about January 6th. But she's not addressing the issue. You know, another part of it, too, is how unprecedented, how unprecedented uh, that moment was in January 6th. When okay, blah, 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 blah. So then finally, finally, she gets to the answer, which, by the way, was terrible. I, she finally tries to answer the question. As it relates to the names and um, and what he was trying to, you know, what he was trying to uh, to say, look, many people, uh, elected officials, many people, um, you know, uh, they tend, they can. This they is painful. Speak sometimes, right? And look, I, let me give you a couple of examples. All right, now, oh boy, so you could hear the report. So, so he misspoke. That's what it was. I said this yesterday. I said this last week. I seem to say it every time this happens. Of course, I misspeak. I say things. You don't even realize it when you do it sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. You have to oh, correct your, yes. your spouse, your significant other, your kids. Hey, do you know you just said this? But it doesn't happen on a regular basis every single time that you're on a microphone like it does with this president. So she tries to give examples here that are on the same level of what's happened with this president. It'd be one thing. Now, this is this is a good example if it's one time and he says Francois Mitterrand when he means Macron. But now it's happened four out of the last six days, and two of those days he was not in the media. Uh, you know, on Sunday, Speaker Johnson said Iran instead of Israel. This happens. And Joe, uh, Joe is not here. There are many times I call Joe from USA Today Michael. I'm sure he doesn't appreciate that. <laughs> Um, he doesn't. I've apologized to him many times. Now I call him JoJo uh, because the president calls him JoJo. Uh, but and also Sean Hannity himself has said mm-hmm. uh, Jason Chavitz when he met Matt Gates. Yeah. So people misspeak. But listen yeah. to this. Somebody put this together here. My name's Joe Biden. I'm a Democratic candidate for the United States Senate. I'm nope. running as a proud Democrat for the Senate. Nope, President. <laughs> and that's why I asked President Harris to travel to nope. the region last August. Well, President Harris led nope. this effort. President Harris here to make sure nope. this is the right way. Last week, President Harris and I... Nope. But all kidding aside, of course, President Harris... Nope. ...is a proud Howard alum. Now, when President Harris and I took... Uh, I, and those are just the President wow. Harris ones, and when he doesn't realize that he's running for president. So you decide, ladies and gentlemen. I think the campaign ads are being crafted right now. This was a terrible day for Joe Biden, a really good day for Donald Trump. We're going to talk about it a lot more here over the next two and a half hours. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 
know, it's, it's been a busy week. Here we are Thursday. The roundtable is tomorrow, so we have a bunch of stuff to talk about with Jane. Brad Young will be on the panel. I think we had a cancellation on our other panelists, so Fred's trying to fill that right now. But I bring it up, and I'm going to welcome our next guest in and sort of explain it this way. Uh, former Illinois Congressman Rodney Davis is with us this afternoon to talk about some stuff. Rodney, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Here's what I was going to say, because, you know, we reached out yesterday. I said, Fred, um, Ronnie, be great to kind of chime in on some of the stuff that's going on with, you know, Congress, obviously, Mayorkas and also the, um, you know, the immigration bill. And it feels like everything in the last 24 hours is about months later because the news cycle has shifted so much. Today's stuff (laughs) with the special counsel report and the Supreme Court hearings has been kind of mind blowing today, Rodney. It really has, and and you are right. Everything is is just. A, you used to think the news cycle would last a day. Now it lasts about ten minutes. Yeah, I almost don't want to ask you about immigration, although I eventually will. But did you get a chance to to sneak a, a little bit of a listen to the Supreme Court arguments today, or not? I did, and I found it interesting that there seemed to be bipartisan uh, bipartisan court disdain for what Colorado was trying to do. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't I talked about this at the beginning. I didn't think at first I heard the first few questions. But then once the pattern became rather apparent, I I don't know what we're going to get here. I think most people think it would be better for the country if you had a decision that was unanimous. But even if it's eight, one or seven, two or something like that, which I think most experts expect something very different than a five, four decision on this case, which would be important. Look, we got to move forward, right? Yeah, we do. I I would love to see unanimous and I'm cautiously optimistic it would be that way. I mean, let let whatever feelings you have about people who are running for president be solved at the ballot box. But the problem is there's just such a hatred of former President Trump that I bet you one liberal justice will probably say, I'm going to be the brave one. I'm going to stand up and I'll be the opposition. And it's not best. It's not going to be the best. It's not going to be best for our country. I think it would be KBJ and Sotomayor if there's going to be holdouts on this. So we'll see. And then there's the special counsel report. And I kind of went you know, over that. Have you had a chance to take a peek at this? Because my, my position is this. Uh, they probably, you know, if, if you really try to take a look at it in an unbiased fashion, I understand what they're saying about prosecution not being able to get a jury to convict. I think they're probably right about that. But this thing is pretty damning outside of that when they talk about the president's memory and some of the things that happened with this and the way that they describe him, Rodney. And there's already memes out there. And the one that I liked is a campaign sign that says Biden, a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. Now, I said this to Sue during the break. Some people might see that. If you're a CNN viewer or something and say, oh, look at those wacko right wing Republicans making fun of our president. That's actual language from this special counsel report. It it really is. The special counsel report is pretty damning. And what you know, I I I read exactly what what you read about his mental state, his memory. And and yeah, that'll be that'll be memes. That'll be gifs. That'll be part of the political arena. But to have a special counsel say I'd like to prosecute, but I don't think I could get a jury to convict. Hey, what if a jury in Alabama, what if a prosecutor in Alabama says, you know what, I'd like to prosecute uh, President Trump, but I don't think I can get the jury to convict. Uh, that is 
something that scares me today about yeah. our, our judicial process. Well, they use the words reasonable doubt, and that's not that's not the prosecutor's decision. That's whether the jury decides there's reasonable doubt. So that was confusing. You're right. I don't know where that particular report takes us, but there's no doubt in my mind that there's two systems, two tiered here when it comes to the treatment. Um, just on the documents case, President Trump versus President Biden. Let's get to immigration reform and what happened in the House. Now, do you agree or do you not agree as a former House member, and I don't know how well you know Mike Johnson, the new speaker, that you, you should or maybe shouldn't have taken that bill to a vote without knowing where it was going to go. Uh, not the immigration stuff. I'm talking about what happened in the House. We'll get to the immigration deal in the Senate. You're talking, you talking Mayorkas? Yeah, on the impeachment vote. Sorry, I don't mean to conflate the two because yeah. it's confusing. But on Mayorkas, you got a couple holdouts, Ken Buck, um, the guy from Wisconsin, a guy from California. They always do a whip count, right? you got someone in charge of deciding where these votes are coming from or, or trying to tell where the votes are coming from. Typically, you go to the floor with a vote when you have those votes, right? Now, we saw that that didn't really work out in the speaker's contest. But did Mike Johnson kind of screw up here or not? Look, I don't think Johnson or Tom Emmer or anybody who's in leadership is to blame here. I think there was a good move by Democrats to get Al Green, who no one thought could would be wheeled in to cast a vote on this that night. They probably had the numbers they thought they needed, but then the Democrats did something that I would have I would have enjoyed seeing if it was if it was my side. They brought in somebody sick to cast that vote and make sure that they tanked that bill. Now, you basically, I didn't cover this, but I want you to go over that. They, they really did kind of wheel him in just to cast the vote because he wasn't in good shape. He was in the hospital. Yeah, I know. So, yeah, they went out. They, it, it, I mean, it would have been something that we would have tried to do, too. If I was there, and I probably would have been engaged. How do we, how do we logistically get a stretcher in the Capitol up to where we oh need my. to vote? And then cast that vote. Now, in the end, they're going to impeach Mayorkas because they had absent Republican members who will show up and they will have the numbers and they will get done. In including Steve Scalise, who is undergoing cancer treatment, right? Steve Scalise, uh, yes. And then you've got the special election coming up. Uh, if the Republican wins, we're in the majority. I bet you'll get sworn in very, very quickly. And then, uh, and, and then uh, it'll happen. So that's something that that's something that has to be taken into consideration when the blame game starts getting thrown around. Former Illinois Congressman Ronnie Davis is here. So I don't know how much in particular you worked on immigration reform, but what's your take on what happened in the Senate? You got James Langford and um, Democrats working together. Langford gets hammered by Republicans. Johnson says this thing is DOA. Uh, Senator Kennedy kind of broke this down pretty effectively yesterday in an explanation, but they, they, they didn't have any kind of support for this thing, and it was weird the way it was rolled out. No one got to read it till Sunday night. Why can't we read things and vet them and debate them, Rodney? Well, you can't read them because you're illiterate, but the rest of America True. Ought, to be able to get, ought to be able to get access. But in all seriousness, Mark, You've got uh, – there's a major deal that was trying to be put in place. I feel bad for James Langford. I used to serve with him in the House. There's not a nicer guy and a more you know, good-intentioned member of the U.S. Senate. Uh, but he did get hung out to dry. And he should have known, unfortunately, and Senate leadership should have known, the new third rail of politics is not Social Security and Medicare. It's immigration. Uh, this is, this is short-sighted, in my opinion, because – Getting down to even 5,000 a day before the border is shut is a lot better math-wise than where we are right now. And remember, Democrats could have solved this problem when they had 60 votes in the Senate with President Obama and a huge majority in the House. 
They chose not to because they wanted to use it as a political issue in Obama's reelect. Trump could have solved this problem by finishing the wall, by passing two one of two immigration bills that Republicans and Democrats negotiated. But he was talked out of it by the sociopathic narcissist Mark Meadows. And I love her. Every, I hope everybody goes and reads the, the news story on him today. It's kind of well, telling. I have seen that. Yeah, it's, it's very telling about who he is and what I, who I knew he's been since we got elected together back in 2012. Um, so Republicans nor Democrats, they don't want to solve it. And unfortunately, the American people are the one who are, who are, who are facing the consequences of politics over action. But it's hard for me to believe at this point, and I've followed this immigration you know, issue over, over decades, not, not years, and, and you have too. It's hard for me to believe they're going to get anything that's passed, certainly not this year. They're not going to do anything on this, right? I know you said that, yeah, Mayorkas is going to be impeached. I'll go with that. They're going to get the votes. On this, I don't see any kind of compromise that's working out. The only way Democrats would agree to stop the invasion at our borders was because they knew it was a political liability for President Biden right now. Yeah. When it becomes, when it doesn't become a political liability, you're going to look back at this. I think many people are going to look back at this proposed agreement and say, why didn't we jump at that? Just like we look back in 2018 at the agreement that we had uh, called Good Lat 1 and Good Lat 2 to build the wall, finish the wall, pre-appropriate the dollars to have it built so that Biden couldn't stop that. That We look back as Republicans, those who voted for it say, yeah, I told you so. And others say, yeah, I wish we could have done it again. But unfortunately, politics is going to trump again. Hey, pardon the pun. Give me your assessment. You got Darren Bailey challenging incumbent Mike Boss. Now, I saw you got, you know, kind of thrown out of your district by Mary Miller, right, in a recarving of those districts. Um, Mike Boss is an Illinois congressman currently, but he's being challenged by someone allegedly to the right of him. Is the same thing going to happen with Boss that happened with you or not? No, absolutely not. Look, President Trump's not endorsed his opponent. And remember, uh, this was a redistricting year. The district that I ran in had about 30 percent of the people that knew who I was. Um, and it was a primary that was in a June time period because the Democrats didn't get it done. Completely different circumstances. Mike Boss is one of the best members of Congress I ever had a chance to serve with. This is a guy who's the chair of our Veterans Affairs Committee. He's the guy holding the VA accountable so that our veterans get the health care and the services and the benefits they need. Darren Bailey, hands down, worst Republican gubernatorial candidate that Illinois has ever witnessed. This is a guy who hates government so much He hates government so much, but he thinks government needs him. Remember, he got elected to state representative, then turns around two years later, gets elected to state senate. And right after he's sworn in, he has got he has got uh, his his desire to run for governor. And now, because he's not in elective office, because it's not relevant in his own mind, because he only wants a title, he doesn't want to serve, he doesn't want to govern. And his time in the House and the Senate proved that in Illinois. This is a guy who wants to challenge one of the best members of Congress that actually serves in Washington, D.C. It's pitiful yeah. because Darren Bailey is pitiful. You know, I I wish I could have coaxed a little bit more opinion out of you on that one, Rodney, but um, I did my best. Hey, you don't think it's an accident that I invited you to be a guest on the show this week, do you? I mean, that 
That's not accidental. You realize that, right? I should make it clear here. This is a guy who's a fan. Maybe this is why he didn't get elected. You know, you ever think of that? He's a Raiders fan. And now we have a situation where the Kansas City Chiefs are going to play in the Super Bowl in the stadium that yet to hold a playoff game for the uh, the Raiders. <clears throat> what do you say to that? I know you're going to say Chiefs suck. That's your standard out cue. You can't say that this weekend. I can't because I'm going to root for the Niners. <laughs> As loudly as I can. I'll be texting you on Sunday night, I promise you. I'll be thinking of you. But I want to know one thing. You know, like, I made it pretty clear who I was for in the Bailey Boss race. I bet you were sitting there peeing your pants because what if the Packers and the Chiefs played together? I mean, you would have been spinning. Oh, that's a good point. Okay, that's a valid point. You're breaking up. You're breaking up. See you, Congressman. So I think that you had said on Monday you did not watch the uh, the Grammys. That is correct. So I, I hadn't either. I just watched a little. I watched Dua Lipa and SZA and just a couple other moments. But my daughter was very insistent. Alexa Reardon was very insistent. She wanted to see some of the performances. So we were zipping through them last night. One of the things that I noticed, I'll address some of that uh, a little later before Susan News. There were some interesting performances. But we both agree that Trevor Noah is not very funny, right? That's because, yes, we totally agree. Yeah, and I, I don't really get him. But anyway, what I, what I remembered is from the very opening, he is outside of whatever used to be Staples Center. I don't even know what they call that place anymore. But he opens the whole thing by saying this, and I, I wanted to get the audio, but I couldn't find it. Tonight we're coming to you live from the city of Los Angeles where the local population has just survived the unthinkable, rain. Now, that was Sunday night. That didn't age very well, did it? No. Considering what happened this week. And let's go to Los Angeles. Brian Ping, St. Louis native. He's at Canex Radio in Los Angeles. You guys have gotten hammered this week, haven't you? How are you, Brian? Yeah, good. Thanks, Mark. Uh, yeah, pretty good soaking. Uh, about 10 inches, which is about two-thirds of what we typically get in an entire year. So, yeah, pretty good one. So how how bad, I mean, whenever natural disasters are reported on, I mean, the same thing happens here. You know St. Louis well. If you have river flooding, right, it's, it's really not the entire area that's flooded out. It's if you live near the Mississippi, the Missouri, or the Merrimack, or something like that. So how much did this affect the entire region? Was it isolated, I suppose, is part of my question. Some places got hit more than others, but uh, really, Mark, the thing about uh, Southern California is that it does have a pretty good infrastructure of flood control channels. If you fly over the region, you'll see what look like highways. Those are actually concrete channels, kind of like the River to Pair in St. Louis. Yeah, right. But there's a lot of them down here. Down have seen them in the movies over the years, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and they, they did their job. They did a very good job of you know, getting filled pretty close to the banks, never really uh, you know, overspilled them. Yeah, we did have uh, you know, some incidents here and there, uh, submerged cars. A couple of people, unfortunately, lost their life. But uh, the area was pretty well equipped. And I think one thing that did help us out, too, was the fact that we didn't get it all at once. If you look at the radar, there was you know, a lot of green and dark green, not quite as much of the you know, yellow, orange, and red. So it's that rainfall rate that is really important when it comes to flooding. So I think the rate at which it came down, I think that did spare us to a degree. But at the same time, you know, we really have to uh, do a lot of uh, drying out here. These next uh, you know, I'm always amazed by seeing the video, and I don't remember seeing any this week of mudslides. But did you have a bunch of mudslides as part of this or not? We had a, a few, but they seem to be in you know, pretty isolated areas. You know, when you think about that, you uh, have to think about the impact on the roadways, you know, in Pacific Coast sure. Highway and some other roads that kind of abut those hills. And it looked like we did not have any you know, major impacts or problems with uh, major long-term road closures, which was uh, big relief. So the story nationally was for, I mean, for years about the drought in California. Mm. That's over, isn't it? 
it's over for now. But, you know, there's always those people out there that say, you know, we're never uh, too far away. It only takes one dry here, and then we're right back to where we were. But, you know, we're in pretty good shape. Our reservoirs are filling up up and down the state. Uh, the snow in the mountains and the Sierras, that's the really important uh, measure there because that's uh, precipitation that we can contain and we can control and use. A lot of the rain that's fallen in Southern California goes right into those river channels I talked about, and they go out to sea. It's wasted water. So just because we get all of this at once, it can be too much of a good thing. It's not necessarily water that we can use. And that's a lot of uh, discussion that's been going on here lately is you know, our climate is changing. These atmospheric rivers, uh, you know, that terminology you may have heard. Uh, nobody, hardly anyone around here knew what that term meant just a few years ago. But now it's become a you know, pretty common part of our climate. So we're going to have to make some changes as far as actually corralling this water so we don't waste it. Well, yeah, that's a good point because um, that's just it. something that we don't have an issue with here in Missouri, right. that's for sure. No. <laughs> yeah, if you got a pipeline, I think we make a lot of money. Maybe that's how we could have no income tax in Missouri if we ship all the water out west. Hey, you got Election Day coming up on March 5th in California. The one thing that I'm curious about, and I'm, I'm guessing, I don't know, I'll ask you, is this the primary for the Senate race with Steve Garvey? Yes, that's right. Yeah, he's uh, he is the only Republican polling in the top four and then we've got three Democrats that are up there with him. Adam Schiff, who is the front runner there, of course, he has the, the national profile of uh, you know his role in investigating Donald Trump uh, during his presidency and the Russia-Ukraine affair. And then also uh, Katie Porter and Barbara Lee, two members of Congress, Porter's from Orange County, Lee's from the Bay Area. And the way, you know, if you're not familiar with California's election system, and this changed just uh, a few years ago, it is an all-party primary, and the top two advance regardless of oh, party. Okay. So you can have, you can have two Democrats, and right now, Schiff is the front runner. He's got about a ten-point lead, but Porter and Garvey are neck and neck for second. Now, if Porter finishes ahead of Garvey, you know, if on election day it he was close to the polls, the Republicans could conceivably be shut out of the November election. So that it seems to be the real drama yeah. here. Is whether Garvey can break through and and uh, get on to November. Well, that's helpful. That's good information because I was unaware of that I keep reading uh, you know bits and pieces in the L.A. Times. He's seventy five years old, Steve Garvey. I did not know that. He's very close. I just had Illinois Congressman Rodney Davis on, former Illinois Congressman. He's close with um, with Mr. Garvey. Well, Ping, have you been back here at all to St. Louis? Uh, you know, I was there for the holidays. Had a very nice time. Uh, I was there with the family. We actually uh, you know went down to Branson. Got a lovely uh, vacation cabin. And the whole family uh, was down there for a few days. And, you know, uh, cold, but not too cold. Of course, cold for me, the definition has changed since I've been out here. I can't, <laughs> my, the skin has gotten a little thinner. But, uh, yeah, we had a lovely time. Yeah, we had a blast of cold there a few weeks ago. But I'm telling you, Sue would vouch for this because she's been outside. We've been in the uh, upper 50s, 60s Woo! this week, so it hasn't been too bad. Look, it's always great to hook up with you, Brian Ping. Thanks for the information on the flooding and everything else. We'll talk soon. Thanks so much, Mark. We'll see you. Second hour coming up. we got Sue's News. Then after that, Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey is going to weigh in on the Supreme Court arguments and also some other stuff that he's been a part of in the last couple of weeks. That's all coming up. Get more at 971talk.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.